This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to a Real Man Wood podcast, wherein Don Del Don and me, Chris Liss, discuss what a real man would do in many situations and contrast it with what Dalton Del Don would do. Part of the, uh, the new name, because as you would say, I'm not, I'm not a real man, so I guess I'm the counter. But um, people would argue, No one's a real man all the time. What did you say? No one's a real man all, all the time. time. Right, yes. Except, I, disproportionately not, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you're just so rarely a real man that it's, you are an interesting contrast. Also, we're going to link this to the Real Man Twitter account, which is also part of this. Yeah, that's blowing up, I heard. Um, it's so, got like 70 followers now. Yeah, yeah. So a busy morning, um, and, and it's a busy time. We, we talked about this on the XM show this morning, but boy, we, I think we're both in the same boat here. It seems like a, a downtime in sports, but between uh, drafting MFLs, which are really, really fun. It's a, it's a for, you know, draft, and then you, it's a best ball the rest of the year. Gets you ready for football. Uh, playing DFS, I know you are playing more DFS now that you're back in the States, and it's just so addicting. Uh, it's, it's seemingly a busy time and it's not something to complain about. It's just a, a lot of sports constantly. You're the same way, right? Yeah. I don't give a fuck about golf and stuff like that, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing several, uh, I'm doing two currently. I've completed some other MFLs. I just did an MFFC, uh, beat Chris list, wrote our online draft last night. Um, I've got other drafts coming up and you know, that's going on in the midst of DFS baseball. Cause I'm at home now and I can, do a bunch of DFS lineups, and I might have to actually set a dummy lineup right now while we're talking so I can get in some of the contests I want. That's what I don't like about FanDuel or whatever DraftKings is if you wait too long, you can't even get a good contest, right? You get those stupid, like, qualifiers. Do you know, do you know on DK you can reserve a lineup, right? Yeah, well, I can reserve. I'm going to do it now. Like, I'm going to fill – got to fill a dummy one, and then you just – No, 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 you it. don't have to is what I'm saying. Oh. You can reserve. You just yeah, click. you should do that because it's the same thing as filling a dummy lineup. It just yeah. saves you the time of pressing yeah. the buttons, yeah. Anyway, so I just had, did an MFL uh, today, started one, and um, I had the number three pick. It's full PPR, as you know, and uh, the first two picks, obviously, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, but given Elliott's uh, legal troubles and he doesn't exactly catch the ball a lot, whom would you have gone at with number three? That's my pick, was, was number three. Yeah, it's full PPR. You need three receivers. I would go Antonio Brown. I just think it's safe and easy, and why, why even mess with it? You know, it just, it's just, I think, you know, I've, we talk, I've talked about this so much on the XM show, so I don't want to rehash it too much here. But basically, there's really no new evidence against Zeke Elliott. He got into a bar fight. Unless something comes out that he did something horrible in that, that's not that big a thing. And the, the domestic abuse allegations would be huge if true. But, you know, we don't know any more than we knew a year ago at this time about that. And so 
it's just Schefter speculating, and, there's, and Schefter's not the source. He's saying, oh, I hear people saying, well, it could go either way, and I'm not sure, I'm a little nervous about it. And then other sites cite Schefter because he's a, you know, an insider. One of my Twitter followers, this guy, Roto Cohen, said, they basically, because Schefter's an insider, he then becomes the source. And that's not, he's not a source. He's just passing along hearsay. So, you know, people are freaking out over something that we don't really know the answer to. But that said, because the NFL is not really, in my opinion, making their uh, punishments based on justice, it might just be PR. He may get two games just because, even if he didn't do anything wrong, because they're allowed to, and because it's just a way of sending a message to the public that they're serious, even if he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, Schefter, I hear what you're saying, but Schefter has a pretty good track record. Not that great. It's not that great? I mean, he, he was wrong uh, a couple times about people starting and sitting. I, I remember there's, I think, a big, was it Roethlisberger that he said was starting and he ended up sitting out? Or he's yeah, made a couple it, it, of mistakes. Yeah, everyone's going to get something wrong. I, I would say overall he's, he's pretty, I mean, basically as good as it gets, I would say. Um, I, I don't know. He's also, uh, Elliot also has, I think, a speeding ticket. And while this latest oh, incident. Speeding this, ticket. I understand. Hey, I'm not the one making the decisions. It's, it's Goodell. I mean, uh, so I, I, in this latest incident, I guess the, the investigation has been suspended by the law, but the NFL is conducting their own. So I would, I would say at minimum he's getting one, maybe two, and there are rumors that it might even be lengthier. So uh, I'm with you. I went Antonio Brown. I mean, three years ago, he had 129 catches. Two years ago, he had 136. Last year, 106 in 15 games in, a, in, in somewhat of an off year. I do worry about Roethlisberger getting hurt. That, that's my main thing with him. But, I mean, Antonio Brown hasn't himself been on the injury report since 2012. Uh, again, PPR, uh, double-digit touchdown three straight years. The main thing is, obviously, was Beckham was my next choice, actually, not even Elliott, given the circumstances. And I looked at your cheat sheet after we talked about this this morning, and you actually have Beckham as your number one receiver. Uh, a non-PPR. Okay. All right. That's the difference here. Right. PPR, I have Antonio Brown. And I don't know, I, I may even move down Beckham. I mean, look, he's such a great player that I never want to bet against him. But if you look at it, his offensive coach sucks. His quarterback is below average. And he's, they just brought in a whole bunch of competition for targets. So unless you think the Giants are going to have a top 10 offense, which they had like a 25th or 24th best offense in the league last year, then, well, something's got to give, right? So if Marshall scores six, seven touchdowns, eight touchdowns, whatever, Sterling Shepard catches 60 passes, and you know Evan Ingram has a role that's bigger than the shitty tight ends they had last year, then it's got to come from somewhere, right? I mean, it, it just, there's just only so much to go around. So that's the issue with Beckham. The, the positive thing is he's just such a great player that you just figure he'll find a way to get it done. But I don't trust McAdoo, and I don't really trust Eli. No, I know you don't like the, uh, the usage, but man, the second half last year, 57 catches, 89 targets. It really did start peppering him as, as they should. But yeah, brought in Brandon Marshall, a red zone threat, drafted Evan Ingram. Maybe they actually get a, a tight end with the pulse. Now, but they can't run the ball, and Eli does throw it a lot, but the defense could you know, be, be kind of a monstrous, which would hurt them. But it's, I feel like there'll be a lot of shootouts in that division. Uh, ODB is uh, four years younger than Brown. I feel like his... Uh, his the, the height of his, he could have a, like a historical season. I mean, he's that, that good, but I think it's safer. Antonio Brown, uh, Eli Manning, certainly far more durable than big Ben, but he might be on the, the, the decline phase of his career. So I'm with you. I think it's close. Uh, man, I, I couldn't even tell who is, a uh, big uh, Landry Jones. I mean, that could get ugly if big Ben goes down, but 
I did go with Antonio Brown. I, I, I think it's close. Uh, is Julio Jones in this discussion with, for you? No, I, I'm a little nervous about his age and health. He's, he's not old yet. He's like 28 or 29 or something, but he's just been around a lot. He's made a lot of catches, been tackled a lot, been limping around. He's had foot injuries. He looked great in the Super Bowl last we saw him, and there's no bad offseason news about him. He's going to get more targets this year, I think. I think with Shanahan gone, he may get more red zone looks too because Shanahan um, was just a guy who threw to the tight ends and ran it a lot from in close. So I think he should be fine. I just, you know, I just think there's a little extra element of risk. But I could see it. I wouldn't, if someone was getting Julio over Beckham, I wouldn't really fight him on it. Or, or even A.J. Green over Beckham, I wouldn't fight him on it. Yeah, okay, yeah, I was just going to say that. So I, I feel like most people say there's a consensus top six. Those three receivers and the three running backs, I will still include Elliott there. You can't let him slip too far. Uh, unless, you know, four-game suspension he's popped with. But then I feel like most drafts I've been in recently, uh, be it NFFC or, or MFLs, it seems like A.J. Green is, be, is kind of emerging as the consensus number seven overall pick. For a while there, it was Mike Evans, but you definitely are, are a green guy. It's not even close compared to Evans. Am I right? I mean, it's not like it's, you know, cavernous, the golf. But, yeah, I just think Green is a top 25 all-time receiver. And Mike Evans is just a dude who's had a couple good years. And I, I think if Mike Evans gets another 173 targets um, and everybody else gets 150, then Mike Evans will, belongs in that mix. But if Mike Evans gets the same number of targets as A.J. Green and Julio Jones and Odell Beckham, then I think he belongs in another tier because he's not as good. There's, I don't see good evidence that he's as good of a player as those guys. So if you look at per target production and multiply it out, I would give more to those guys. Now, Evans probably will get more touchdowns than, say, Julio Jones. Although, again, as I said, that could change. But Beckham's been a touchdown machine. And Antonio Brown, even although I think he'll regress to like eight or nine, uh, has been also a touchdown machine the last few years. So I just would put Evans in the tier with Jordy Nelson and Michael Thomas and Amari Cooper. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, I, A.J. Green definitely obviously coming off an injury-plagued year, but just super consistent with a really long track record. But uh, Mike Evans has been in the league three years. And he scored 12 touchdowns in two of them, uh, a number that A.J. Green's never met. But, but then in between that, Evans scored three touchdowns. So, and, and you know what? I will give you credit. Last year you called as far as inefficient uh, receivers just reliant upon uh, volume was, was DeAndre Hopkins. And, and he obviously was one of the biggest busts. I know you had him lower than most. But Winston is hardly the quarterback that, that, that Houston had to deal with last year. So this is interesting. Evans is five years younger than A.J. Green. Both the teams added a bunch of other weapons. I mean, you get Zay Jones. Uh, what if uh, Tyler Eifert stays healthy as far as a red zone monster? And obviously, you, you mean John Jack. Ross. I do mean John Ross. Yes, yes. Sorry, Zay Jones is the Bills. My bad. Yes, John Ross. Um, uh, but and then obviously OJ Howard for for the Bucks and uh, Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson might be one of those receivers that helps, though. It takes the top off the defense. So, but as you said on the show, John Ross might be the same, only with fewer targets. So, right. Could, so, so. Look, Go ahead. the thing is, like, when you lead the NFL in targets and you had Vincent Jackson as the receiver starting opposite you and he gets hurt and he's terrible and he's out by, like, week four, and Charles Sims, the running back that might have gotten, you know, 80 targets, is out for the season, like, week five. And then there's just nobody there. It was like, what's that guy? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Adam, Adam Humphreys. Adam Humphreys. Getting catches. Like, he was, like, their number two for a while. Like, that Cameron Brait was the other guy they were throwing to. Tight end who was considered a total scrub heading into last year. Like, they had nobody. So he had 173 targets, but Winston just didn't really have a whole lot of choice. Now, he'll probably be get a little more efficient because they were just chucking it up kind of because they didn't, again, they didn't have that many options. 
But it, it's totally reloaded for Tampa. And I just think that, you know, A.J. Green is at a point where I don't think those guys cut into his targets. Like, I think Mike Evans was over-targeted last year, and he'll regress to normal targeting. I think A.J. Green was targeted the right amount, and that will stay the same. And to the extent that John Ross opens up the defense, that's going to come out of Brandon LaFell and Tyler Boyd's targets, not out of Green's. Yeah, I, I won't totally argue with you here, but I will just say Mike Evans, as a rookie, had, on, had scored 12 touchdowns on a modest 123 targets. Um, all right, we'll, we'll move on here in a second. I want to tell you a, a pretty crazy stat that I saw pro football focus uh, list. Are, are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. This is the number of forced missed tackles by wide receivers last season, okay? Golden Tate's number one. T.Y. Hilton, seven. Right. Julio Jones, seven. Mike Evans, three. Right. Well, Anto- Antonio Brown, nine. Odell Beckham, 29. Nice, nice. I love that. I mean, that is just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, wow. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I know, I, 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 by the way, Beckham's a deep threat, too. It's not like he's just getting these Golden Tate uh, passes, too. So I thought that was pretty, pretty I love, insane. I love that. That's great. That's yeah. a great stat. Yeah, I mean, I just like confirmation bias stats. Like, I think Odell Beckham is arguably the greatest receiver of all time. I mean, imagine if he played with a good QB, a good offensive environment, and a, and a good coach, you know, in, in, in a warm-weather environment. Let's say he played, like, for New Orleans. The problem yeah. in New Orleans is they, they spread it around so much. But, like, he played for San Diego. He played for New England. You know, the weather's not great in New England either. But just, you know, he's, like, got all three strikes against him, and he still had three seasons that nobody's even touched their first three years in the NFL. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, Randy Moss in his prime is pretty tough to beat, I will say. But um, uh, He was pretty good, too. All right, so here's a guy that we, we both uh, agree on, and we, we touched upon him again on the show. And um, I just want you to talk a little bit about Derek Carr because – we're, we're just totally in agreement here that he just seeming, seemingly just getting so overdrafted. He's gotten 7.0 YPA each of his first two years, including 6.8 in the second half last year. Either he's he a better improved big time to, to reach his ADP or B is going to be one of the biggest outliers ever, because usually there's a terrific correlation with YPA and touchdown production or C he, he's really going to disappoint fantasy owners. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it because even if this is sustainable, this sort of outlier TD production with the low YPA, let's just say he's just really safe and efficient. He's sort of like a rich man's Alex Smith. Well, fine. So maybe he gets 30 touchdowns. He's going to get 4,000 yards or 4,200 yards, no rushing yards. That's not that much, right? And it's not like they added some game-changing receiver who's going to do it for him. I mean, Cooper's good. The other guys are kind of mediocre to scrubby. They don't have a good tight end. They added Lynch. They're going to run it more. Where's the upside? Where's the ceiling here? Whereas you look at a, a quarterback like you know, Andy Dalton, they get A.J. Green back for the whole year. Andy Dalton was on an MVP trajectory. He was in the discussion in 2015. You know, they add John Ross, who ran a 4-2-2, fastest uh, time ever recorded at the Combine. You get Eifert back, perhaps, who was an elite red zone tight end. And Andy Dalton ran for four touchdowns last year. He's run for like 15, 16 touchdowns the last three, four years. Andy Dalton gets you significant points with his legs. So, I mean, how can you even compare? And they also got uh, Joe Mixon, and should get Geo back at some point. They have two good pass-catching running backs. How can you even compare Andy Dalton and Derek Carr? But Derek Carr goes ahead of him on average, and I, I have no idea why. I, I, don't, I have no explanation for why that would be. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe this the ascension entering year four in the league and the touchdowns. I guess people just stare at those touchdowns. Year four? I mean, what's year four mean? Is year four so magical? I, is there something I don't know about year four? I, I haven't seen a study on that. I, I, he's going ahead of Cam Newton. I mean, I just, I just don't. I mean, Cam Newton was the consensus number one quarterback this recent as last year. I, I, it's crazy. So according to a, a fantasy football calculator, he's the number six quarterback off the board. Why? What? I, just, I don't what get it. No, I don't understand. How, no, I, I have obviously Newton Cam ahead of. I mean, how could you ever take Derek Carver, Cam Newton? Are you crazy? Cam Newton has two of like the top <laughs> seven quarterback seasons of all time for fantasy. It, it's absurd. I mean, I'd obviously take Cousins, Wilson, Mariota over oh, him, Winston, uh, Dak Prescott, Rivers, Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, Rivers, Andy Dalton. I'd take Tyrod Taylor over him. I have Tyrod Taylor. I think higher than him. I got to look at my rankings. I have Carr like around 15th, and maybe I should move Rivers ahead of him. You might even talk me into that. Of so, course yeah. you should move Rivers ahead okay. of him. Rivers All right, I'm doing it, doing it right now. Yeah, okay. Carr, what, what a joke. I got a lot of action on that bet, straight up Dalton versus Carr. Yeah, well, I'm with you. It's uh, Yeah, I, I, don't, I just don't understand. And I looked at their schedules, too, and the, and the Raiders have a pretty difficult – I mean, they have to face the Chiefs and the Broncos 25% okay. of their games. Dude, I got Carr at 17. <laughs> well, I have him at 16 now. I have him below Bortles. Wow, that's, that's I'm below Stafford. The reason he's below Bortles is Bortles gets 277 run, rushing run. yards and two touchdowns. And like Bortles is terrible, but Bortles has more upside. He's got three, you know, three viable receivers. He throws down the field sometimes. Man, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't necessarily prop that, but I, I do have Bortles ahead of him in my actual rankings. Okay, can you uh, on the same uh, same vein? Can you explain to me why people are so just crazy bullish on Amari Cooper? Uh, I like Cooper. And I think, I think the case is this, that he's actually you know, a major pedigreed guy, really talented, great route runner, powerful, fast, strong, can make big plays. And the only reason he hasn't really taken off as a superstar is because uh, Carr loves Crabtree for God knows what reason. Another strike against him that he's thrown to like their worst player. Yeah. And that Crabtree gets most of the red zone looks. And so, so did Seth Roberts out of the slot. He had like, Crabtree had like 21 red zone looks, and then Roberts had like 20. So that may persist since everything's the same there, but it may not. You know, they may just, for whatever reason, vary it up and give Cooper 15 to 18 red zone looks this year. And, and if they do, I think he'll catch 9, 10 touchdowns. Okay, so um, th- this is arbitrary, but just, just play along with me, okay? Sure. Uh, guess, guess how many yards Amari uh, Cooper had over the final eight games. So I'm just splitting the season in half. Over the final eight games, second half last year, a full eight games, guess how many yards he had? Uh, 450. 366. Okay. Uh, guess how many yards he had over the final eight games uh, the year before? Uh, 380. 417 and two touchdowns. Now, is that, I, I don't know what to make of that. Probably absolutely nothing. But that is a little bit weird. You, you combine those and you're looking at 700 yards and five touchdowns over 16 games. So I don't know. Does that mean anything at all or nothing? Well, yeah, he's got 52 targets in the second half last year. Right. Well, remember that Carr missed like a game and a half. He got hurt. Yeah. A game and a quarter right. maybe. So that hurt him a little bit at the end. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I'm not, I, it's a little bit of a small sample for me to say that that means something. I mean, you could cut up, you know, anybody's – two-year sample and find out like that they split it up some way that there's some extreme split i, I wouldn't read much into it he's just two for two so far in his career i just i just found that a little bit odd but um <laughs> yeah I, I see him going in the first round in some nffc leagues and i'm just like man i'm taking michael thomas i'm taking des bryant i might I'm, I'm even taking brandon cooks over him personally I, I i took cooks over him in the last draft i was in but i've taken cooper over cooks i think it's close i think cooper is more 
steady cooks has more upside. But uh, Des, I saw something that made me a little nervous, which is that, and I have him in Stopa, is that he faces like a very hard slate of cornerbacks this year. Uh, he, he faces the Giants QBs, I mean, the Giants cornerbacks, Janoris Jenkins, Josh Norman twice, John, you know, Jenkins twice, or Apple, either one is, is tough. I think he faces Denver, like Chris Harris and, and Aqib Tlaib. He faces, I think he faces uh, Patrick Peterson on the, on the Cardinals. So he's just got a tough slate of guys. Interesting. Well, this is a good segue because I'm going to throw, before we get to your, your draft, uh, I'm going to throw you uh, Roto Arcade. We have a recent collaborative uh, thing going on this week uh, with our sleepers at each position. So I'm going to throw you mine and get your opinion, okay? Okay. My quarterback I chose, and again, some sleepers are more sleepy than others. We're going, we're, we're going to do another series with deeper sleepers. So, so these aren't like, you know, really whatever, whatever word you want to use, undervalued or whatever. But I went with uh, Dak Prescott as my quarterback, uh, currently 14th uh, among quarterbacks, uh, you know, eight behind Derek Carr. And it's interesting you mentioned that schedule. But my, my thinking was people are uh, – obviously the, the interception uh, percentage is going to go up. I mean, that's going to regress. He threw four last year. But he adds uh, some yards on the ground, six touchdowns rushing last year, 8.0 YPA. I understand he was throwing in quote-unquote hitter counts mostly, but that offensive line is still strong. What if uh, year two maybe he's going to be given more responsibility? I don't care if that results in more turnovers. Um, again, that I like that division to be in shoot, shootouts. Um, what if Elliott is suspended a while and they, they have to rely on throwing the ball more? And what he did last year as a rookie just should not be overlooked. And he did it with a banged up and, and uh, Des Bryant who missed time. And, and maybe Bryant, even if he's taken away by these other cornerbacks, I mean, it, what if he's fully healthy this year? I, I like Dak. What do you think? I agree. I'm at number 11 right now, ahead of Andy Dalton, right behind Jameis Winston. But I, I agree with all those points. I also think that he's basically like Russell Wilson, but if Seattle had a bad defense, right? Like, right. Seattle had right. a good defense, so Russell Wilson didn't really have to open it up. But there were times when he did open it up and went crazy. I think Dak could be like that. So um, I'm a little, you know, b- beyond Dez, their weapons are weak, though, right? Like, I, I know. Williams, Jason Witten, Cole Beasley, those are not good skill players. But it's so not like they're good last year, you know. I mean, that's the thing. But I mean, right. eight point oh YPA just should not be. It can't I would be like to see them get one more young receiver, you know, even but, a second rounder, a Curtis Samuel, something like that would have been nice. Totally agree. Um, yeah, like like San Diego drafts Mike Williams when they when, they, <laughs> when they're loaded at the position, and Dallas ignores the position that they they totally needed. But it's funny. I'm just looking right now, and I have him 11th as well, exactly the same as you. So, um, all right, my next guy is a uh, boy. I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to let you pontificate a lot on this because I know you totally agree with me. Me and you and I are, uh, have this guy higher than anyone else in the industry. Uh, it, it's John Brown at wide receiver. Uh, he's mispriced in my opinion. I, I think, you know, he had this sickness. He was sick, right? It's like if a player has uh, the flu for a week and then he comes back, you're not going to be like, oh, I don't know. How's he going to recover? You know, how's he going to play when he comes back? To me, that's what this is. It's just a more serious illness, right? He had like some sort of problem with sickle cell and he had a cyst on his spine it was removed after it was removed he's been exactly himself he said and before last year you know he was a guy who had a thousand yards and seven tds in an offense where he was basically the number three where michael floyd got 89 targets that year and michael floyd is gone larry fitzgerald's basically a a glorified tight end right now 34 years old 34 years old you know they have basically three targets fitzgerald brown and david johnson they don't have a tight end. They don't yeah, have a tight end. Right, and they throw deep a lot, too. Now, they have J.J. Nelson. J.J. Nelson weighs 154, yeah. okay? That 154 is gadget player. It's not a serious target source. 
He'll stretch the D now and then. But John Brown is going to be, in my opinion, one of the league leaders in 40-plus yard catches. He is going to get 110, 115 targets and maybe more. There's upside for more. And he's going to get nine-plus yards per target. And the touchdowns are going to vary, obviously, like anything else. But this dude has major, you know, top 12 upside. He's probably not going to be a top five receiver ever because with Fitzgerald there, he's just going to lose a lot of those little short throws that Antonio Brown gets. So he's not going to catch 115 passes or something. But he could catch 88 for 1350 and, you know, nine touchdowns. And moreover, you know, if, if, you, want to make, if you go to Vegas and there's futures on who's going to lead the NFL in receiving yards, if he's like a 100 to 1 or some big long shot, put some money on that. That would be my sleeper to lead the NFL in receiving yards. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Palmer's 38 years old. I worry he may go down, but you're totally right. This offense is predicated on, on deep throws. And uh, he, 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 I mean, he had a cyst removed from his spine. I mean, that sounds like a pretty serious thing to go, to go along with the illness and, and other maladies. But he, he claims he's 100% right now. And so two years ago, uh, when he was a sophomore in the league, he got 9.9 yards per target. That's the second highest among all wide receivers with a minimum of 100 targets. I mean, that, that just reveals so much upside. So, Dude, they were comparing uh, with T.Y. Hilton and Marvin Harrison you know, before he got hurt last year, before he got sick. Yeah. And just, this is, to me, this is a no-brainer. He's going to, I got him in round six, and people were saying that was a reach last night. I was, I was relieved to get him in round six. I was worried someone was going to snake me on him. Yeah, he's a 42nd wide receiver off the board, it looks, or around there, whatever, outside the top 40 in most formats. I have him as a top 25 fantasy wide receiver. So In PPR, uh, I want to say, I wanna, I'm going to look this up right now. I have him as the, hang on, i got to switch to receivers. This is great podcasting when you're, when you're clicking away from the internet. Uh, 25th. I have a 25th. Yeah, I have him 24th, so right, right there. So, okay. uh, all right, we're both bullish on him. So you may, you may disagree with me on my next one. Um, maybe it's uh, obvious, but I'm still I'm going back to the well. I loved this guy last year. He totally did not. He was not helpful whatsoever. But I went with Derrick Henry as my, my running back. Uh, 4.5 yards per carry as a rookie. Supposedly looks like a beast during the offseason, and he's really improved. Um, he got a 97th uh, percentile in his speed score at the Combine. Tennessee – was graded as the best offensive line last year by Pro Football Focus. Uh, I, I think he'll be a little bit more involved, but honestly, if, if Murray stays healthy, he might not be usable even as a flex. But if Murray were to go down, I mean, he could be a top five overall player or at least running back and, and win your league for you. And he's just the 30th back off the board right now. Yeah, 30th though is kind of high in a PPR league if you, if you really need the player. So like, I yeah. like to go, I don't like to go zero running back. But I like to go one running back. I like to get one solid back you can count on and then have like five guys for the second slot. To me, that's the ideal way to draft. So he's falling in between there is what you're saying. He's falling right in between. He doesn't, that. He, right. I mean, I would take him, but he's going too high for where I would take him, right? Like I'm going to end up taking guys who are around a little bit later than him um, instead. You know, so for example, in the last draft, I have Kenneth Dixon. I took in the 10th round. I think that was a couple rounds after Henry went. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that, that's right in between what you want, because he's not a solid RB1, and he's, he's too, too going too early for the, for the flyers that you're saying. So, yeah, I mean, the I thing is, like, there's, you know, with that offensive line, and the offense should be even better this year with Mariota in year three and the, oh, yeah. the, the upgrades they have. Yeah. Um, he could be a, a real monster, as you said. So it, it is a high upside play, and it could be sort of like the Larry Johnson Priest Holmes year, where, like, everybody yep. kind of mocked me for taking Larry Johnson in the fourth round, and then he won me the league because he scored 20 touchdowns in, like, 12 games when he took over. So, you know, it, it could go that way. That's, that's definitely within the realm of possibility. But, 
you know, it's right now Murray's totally healthy. He's not like, he doesn't have some injury in the offseason. And if Henry, you know, becomes the guy in week nine, who knows if he's even on your roster by then. Yeah. You know, if he does nothing for eight weeks and maybe you have to cut him for a bye week. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, Murray's like 29, and but he's, he's had injury history in the past. But actually, and he has, he did have like 350 touches last year, but but he, he his, his career total of carries isn't even is only approaching 1500 not 2000 you know he's not like he's totally going to die right away so i get it i get it it's definitely he could turn into a, a zero but the upside there is is through the roof uh, all right last one uh, tight end um, this has never really been my guy but the more i looked at him i'm i'm kind of like an eric ebron he's not being drafted as a top 10 tight end uh, last year did you realize that his uh, that he got 8.7 yards per target only Travis Kelsey and Jimmy Graham were higher uh, among tight ends that were, you know, significantly targeted. Uh, had one touchdown. That's because he was targeted in the red zone just six times, zero inside the five. But Anquan Bolden's gone. He, right. he dominated all the red zone. Looks. He had like nine targets inside the three, Bolden. So he's gone. Uh, Ebron is 24 years old. He was battling injuries all last year, by the way, when he got those impressive uh, 8.7 YPT. So... I don't know. He's a guy that could really, but I mean, obviously no Calvin there. Calvin, I mean, who, I mean, Golden Tate's the number one receiver. He's like 5'10". So he actually could go from an afterthought in the red zone to their number one option in the red zone. And uh, I really like him on a team that, that struggles running the ball as well. I can see it. I definitely see the upside. The downside is that management team, they just don't think he's like a real professional. They just don't think he's, they don't like him. You know, they took him early. There's been some buzz, like, attitude stuff. The upside is, like, the situation's great. The talent is there. Question is, can they reach their players? I feel like bad teams and bad coaches can't reach players that are struggling mentally or something's going on, they have drops, or they're, you know, their practice habits aren't great, and they, they want to blame the player. So it gets in this, like, blame the player thing, and the media blames the player, and the, the team doesn't stand up for them, and that's how they handle it. A good team, a well-run team, figures out how to reach the player. You know, what is it that you need? You know, what's the problem here? How can we make you feel comfortable? How, how can we get to you so that you do what we need you to do? And if, that, if he's reachable, they reach him and he's good. If he's not reachable, then they cut him or they get rid of him, trade him for cheap. And I just feel like I don't trust the Lions to, like, do the right thing. So that's, that's the downside. I may be just making this whole narrative up, but I, I do feel like that often happens in, in football, which is that, you know, the, the good teams figure out what it is and get the player motivated the bad teams that just gets in this thing where there's sort of sour attitude on both sides. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, all right, let's away from me and let's move more toward your guys. Uh, before we get to your draft, I want to ask you about one specific player whom you have ranked just so much higher than anyone I've seen. I, I noticed is uh, give me the case for Tyrell Williams. Uh, Mike Williams may have suffered a, a serious back injury. Or he may have been dealing with it all along and he hit it at the combine. Um, but uh, you love this guy on the chargers and um well, I'll, I'll, I'll do the counterpoint afterward. Go ahead and give, give the case to why you have him ranked so much higher than the consensus. He's only 33 in, in, not in PPR. And, but, the, but I don't know why the consensus isn't. 33 is not that high. But think about it. Like he, last year, he had 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. He averaged 8.9 yards per target. He was really good. Right? He, he had and Allen went down like in the first quarter of the season, though. Yeah, and he had, he had 20 catches of 20-plus and six catches of 40-plus on 119 targets. So he was a big play guy, caught seven touchdowns. He had a decent amount of red zone looks. He's six foot three, six foot four actually. And now Mike Williams is out. I, I wasn't counting much from Mike Williams just missing all of offseason with back problems to start with. Now he may not even play. 
you got Keenan Allen, who is coming off an ACL, just in a long, you know, one of the long list of injuries he's had. And Keenan Allen is a short area possession receiver. He's not going down the field. He's not a big red zone guy. He's the dink and dunk guy. Okay, assuming he's 100%, he'll be Jarvis Landry. Why can't Terrell Williams be Devontae Parker? Now, you got Hunter Henry, who might, you know, siphon off a bunch of red zone looks, and I have him ranked pretty high, and I've been drafting him kind of aggressively. But this is Philip Rivers. There, there's probably 30 touchdowns to go around there. So, I don't know. I, I think he's in a great spot. And what if Allen goes down? Terrell Williams could again be their number one receiver. Yeah, Allen's one of the more injury-prone receivers, and I guess Antonio Gates is a, a carcass at this point. So, all right, all right. I, I just thought there I mean, with Henry, Gates, Benjamin, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, I just thought there were a lot of options there. But, but Gates guess, and Mike Williams are non-options, in my opinion, right now. Okay. So just get rid of those two. So you've got legitimately Henry, who's unestablished. He might be really good. I think he could be. Um, and then you have Keenan Allen, who really does a different thing than Williams does. He's just a short pass catcher, maybe intermediate at best. And then what do you have? You have like some Travis Benjamin, Dontrell Inman. Dontrell Inman's a blocking receiver. Travis Benjamin's a one-dimensional deep threat. There's just not that much competition anymore. Okay. All right. Good deal. Let's go over your, uh, your draft. So t- tell us about it. It's an NFFC uh, big money league, and it's called the Beat Chris List League. Yes, yeah, Beat Chris List. People can – they already – I mean, there'll be one more this summer, but they sign up to see if they can beat me. It's 350 bucks a pop. First place gets 1500 Second place gets 700 but the big deal is part of your entry fee goes to the overall 100K grand prize. Really hard to win that. There's like 2,000 teams, but you never know. I pick seventh, um, and I just, it's a full, uh, th- it's a full PPR, three receivers and a flex. There, one, one quirk is that there is a third round reversal. It didn't really matter picking seventh. It only it affected my draft one pick every round. And uh, third round reversal just means whatever. Who cares? It's not that important. And then uh, the, uh, the other thing is that there's a 10-man bench which I think does kind of matter a little bit. It, it, it makes it a little bit different. You can stash a lot of guys. So here's my draft. You t- you, uh, I'm going to go quickly because i got to set these Vandal lineups before lock. But uh, here we go. So we got A.J. Green around 117. I think that's just a, not a very interesting you pick. You talked about that. Yeah, that's where he's going, yeah. seven. Yeah. Brandon Cook's at 2-6. So to me, that was just, hey, here's a, here's a guy with a huge ceiling. And I love. Cooks. You say you were. You say you were in your write-up. You were glad that Jordan Howard was taking one pick ahead of him because you might have been forced to take him just based on that. I, I have Jordan Howard apparently high, uh, too high because I see where he's going. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? He's. Uh, I hate running backs on bad teams, but man, he looked good last year. He looks good, and they'll use him a lot. And I don't hate running backs on bad teams, as okay. long as he's going to get 250 plus carries and I think he can get 35 catches. That should be fine. You know, he Would should you take be good. McCoy over him. Would I take what? McCoy. Uh, I have them really close. I'm kind of inclined to take Howard. Yeah, I have Howard one spot ahead. Okay, all right. But what about Melvin Gordon? Uh, I would probably take Gordon, but Gordon to me is the best non-big three running back in terms of opportunity and skill and situation combined. I just have a very weird feeling that he's going to be out for the year very early on. Yeah. I, I don't always – it's just I have weird vibes about this. I, I had one about Jamal Charles two years ago, and the NFFC main event, or not the classic that was live in Vegas – I was picking nine, and Charles fell to me, and I passed on him for A.J. Green. And then someone took C.J. Anderson 10, and somebody took someone else 11. And Jamal Charles, who was going like sixth that year, went all the way to 12. What a steal for the guy who had him at 12 until he tore his ACL in week two. Right. right. All right, well, the toughest guy to rank without question, at least for me, uh, you took number, uh, in round three, Todd Gurley. Yeah, that was really an agnostic pick. It was sort of like all the guys I really, really believed in were gone. And I just thought, okay, this is the time to take him. You know, I, I don't hate Gurley. It's not like Lamar Miller, who I just see no point in drafting. I, you may as well pre-cross off Lamar Miller from my list. 
You know, there's certain guys like that that I'm like, oh, thank you so much for taking him. I had no interest in him. Gurley doesn't fall in that category. He falls in the category of I'm not enjoying picking him, but 3-6, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I have no idea what to make of him. He's, he's just bizarre. I mean, he balls as a rookie coming off a serious injury in which he didn't even start the season with a very poor supporting cast, then is healthy in the same cast and is the biggest bust in the all of fantasy last year. Uh, maybe the coaching change is the one thing I'm kind of encouraged by, but boy, I, I just have no idea what to make of him. Yeah, I don't know either, but I just felt the price was right. And then 4-7, I got Golden Tate. Very boring pick, but I think he's a lock for 90 catches if he's healthy. I think that like that's what they do. They throw short passes. That's what he does. He catches them and breaks tackles. That's it. So Golden Tate's my number four. Uh, Jimmy Graham's my number five. That's probably my the guy I'm highest on relative to the industry. I have him in some formats, number two tight end, some number three, th- number three here. Peak Jimmy Graham is one of the top five receiving tight ends of all time. And he is now two years removed from the injury, proved he was healthy last year. He's got a really good quarterback throwing to him. And the receivers on the Seahawks are Doug Baldwin and nobody. And Doug Baldwin's small and the nobodies are small too. I mean, why shouldn't Graham get 900 yards and nine touchdowns? Why shouldn't he just walk into that? Yeah, no, I love the offense. Uh, there's, yeah, there's just Baldwin, really, uh, the main other threat there. Uh, I, I can see it. I, I, I have this Graham, Kelsey, uh, and Olsen just very, very close, and, and, and Reed. I have, I, that's one tier for me. I'll just take whomever falls among those four. Yeah, I, I think Graham over Olsen is an easy call for me. A lot more upside. Yeah, a lot more touchdown upside. It, it's just, it's just, you've just got a situation where Carolina brought in McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel. They have big guy in Benjamin. They have Funchess. They just have so many different weird options. Whereas the Seahawks have like Tyler Lockett, Paul Richardson. It, like that's it after Baldwin. Yeah. What about like Kelsey and Reed though? Reed is as good as Gronk almost, and not as a blocker, but as a receiver. It's just that he's, there's just so much wrong with him. Like if he gets bumped in the head, he's out. If he gets, you know, he's got other issues. He's got soft tissue injuries. He's just really, really risky. I think he's the most risky of all the tight ends besides Eifert, who's the most risky. And then Kelsey? Kelsey, I think, is uh, in PPR. I think he's ranked my number one in PPR because I think he's a lock for, like, 85 catches. Could get 95. Could get 100 if he's healthy all year. I just, it's just that it's going to be a lower-quality catch because Alex Smith is just so dink and dunk. They're not going to have a million red zone looks. They don't throw to him enough in the red zone. So I think Kelsey's got the highest floor by far of the tight ends. Yeah, I think he only scored, what, four touchdowns last year, though, is the problem. So I, I could see Graham certainly having higher upside, but uh, he's still not. I mean, I guess if you think he's out of the woods and he's fully healthy again, so um, I, I can see it. I wouldn't argue that. All right, so, and then next he went with John Brown. We've talked we about talked him. About John Brown. Then Deshaun Jackson, a pick that I didn't love. It was just sort of I wanted to get Ingram, and he went two picks before me, and I kind of got flustered. Yeah, PPR, took, he takes a, takes a hit. Yeah, and it's just hard to, in, in a non-best ball, it's hard to time him. But you know what? It's a good situation. He's a clear number two. He'll get his 100 targets and his seven touchdowns and his 1,000 yards. So he's my reserve receiver. You know what I mean? I've got, already got three receivers and my flex. He's my first bench receiver, which isn't bad. Okay, so then I did some weird stuff. In the eighth round, I took Hunter Henry despite having Jimmy Graham. And despite having Henry below Delaney Walker from a projection standpoint, I felt like Henry could catch 10 touchdowns this year. And you can play a tight end in the flex. I want a guy who can win this for me. So I went with the second tight end. What do you think of that pick? 
I don't know who else, who else was who else was available at the time, so I can't really say it. But I can certainly see the upside with Henry. I mean, you love the fact that a rookie tight—I mean, rookie tight ends do nothing ever—and he he really impressed, and that was with Antonio Gates stealing some snaps. So I could see the upside there, but it is a little abnormal to take two tight ends with your first eight picks. Here was who was available: Mariota. I could have gone QB. Tyrell Williams. We just talked about. Yeah. Doug Martin, Eifert, Kareem Hunt, Adrian Peterson. Kirk Cousins, Kenny Britt, Frank Gore. That was who went between that pick and my next pick. Yeah, interesting that you took him over Eifert. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, I would say I, would, I love Mariota this year and Kirk Cousins. I probably would have pulled the trigger there. But then again, four rounds later, you got your boy Andy Dalton. So, and I, it's, yeah. remember, this is six points per passing touchdown. You do not want those running QBs. Yeah. You don't want to pay a premium for those running. There's nothing wrong with drafting a running QB. Just don't pay for the extra points for their rushing touchdowns because they're only worth the same as passing. Nope. Very good point. Okay, next round I got Duke Johnson. Uh, guy I just think is a lock for 50 catches. Don't know what else is going to happen there. But I feel very – that was my number two running back for now. I don't have a number two running back. I remember Greg was ripping him on the draft, and he was like, well, who's your number two running back? Duke Johnson. I'm like, no, there's five guys who could be my number two running back and the waiver wire. So okay. we will figure that out. But Duke Johnson at least can get me – four catches for 40 yards and 20 yards rushing and give me that 10 points that I need just to place hold. Better than me not having a number one running back in Stopa. Yes, and and that's a 14 team. It's going to be harder to replenish. So then I got Kenneth Dix in the next round. Uh, He's out three games, but could easily be the starter. Alvin Kamara the next round after that. You know, they they traded up to get him. They traded down to get him, but they used a high third-round pick, traded their second-round pick. They knew he'd be there. I think he should be involved. Got Dalton and Tyrod Taylor. I like the combo because Dalton is steady and Tyrod Taylor's upside. And I think if you get a Dalton, you don't want to take a, a Stafford type, even though Stafford was gone. You want to take a, a guy who's kind of a wild card, who's kind of the poor man's Cam Newton. Yeah, and if you wait on QB, I love to just go back-to-back like that and take a couple of them, play matchups, and just hope one of them hit. Yeah, for sure. I love that strategy. Then I took a third tight end in Austin Hooper. I just wanted the That's- most upside. And, you know, you can play a tight end in the flex. There are bye weeks. And, you know, probably a good chance between Graham and Henry. One of them will get hurt for a while. So I just took yet another tight end. Yeah, that's a little nutty, but I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. Um, and, and I like Hooper, another upside guy who was young and, and showed a decent amount. Uh, not, not as much as Henry, but uh, I could see him. I mean, he's tied to the right offense and little competition. So right. I, 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 can, I, can, I can see the, the player, but the three tight ends in the first 14 picks is a little, it's a little different. Right. So if you see the theme of the draft, it's all about opportunity, right? Like I, I took... Guys who I just thought, you know, Kenneth Dixon, like there's nobody really, he's very likely the starter when he comes back. The other interesting thing about drafting three tight ends and 14 picks is, is in which the format you did, because there's no trading. It would make more sense in a league you could trade too if you have a surplus, you know, that, that's one other thing to, to at least note. But one thing that I think people overestimate is how static things are, right? So they look at their roster like, why would you draft three tight ends? You're not going to be able to use all three at once. It's like, I'm not going to be able to use all three in week one, although... One of them may be out for the year tearing his ACL training camp, and maybe I will use two in week one. But, you know, things are going to look very different in four, five, six, seven weeks. And so, you, you know, you, you draft people thinking, oh, well, Duke Johnson can't be your number two back. Well, no, there's going to be a rotating back until someone establishes or not all year. Right? That's, that's the strategy. The strategy has change and, you know, evolution of the team built into it. It's not just assuming this is my roster. I think people are looking at, like, this is a best ball league and here's your static roster. I think you've got a draft based on things changing. You could have Deshaun Jackson I took in the seventh round. He is a bench player. I cannot start him 
and all the other guys. I can't start Green, Cooks, Tate, Brown, and Jackson. I have to sit one. But, and that's in the seventh round. But the reality is there's bye weeks for all the other four, and there's injuries. And between them, you really want five deep at receiver. Yep, and then with five rounds, well, actually six rounds left, you went with Gostowski, you went with a kicker. Yeah, I really wanted Justin Tucker, but someone really pushed it up to round 13, the 12-13 turn, actually. I, I think, you know, there, there's like the old adage, you know, take kickers and defense in the last two rounds. And that, on the whole, is kind of good advice, but you can't be wedded to, to a rule without looking at exceptions. And I think, like, there's, there's exceptions when there's extremes. And T- Tucker is the greatest kicker of all time. He had 10, he was 10 for 10 from 50 plus last year. I think he was 24 for 24 from 40 plus. And the Ravens know how good he is. And they will try, and fourth and 10 from the 38, they're not punting. They're kicking a field goal, right? They'll kick that 55 yarder from the 40, that 57 yarder. They're just going to attempt more field goals because they know what they have. So he's an extreme outlier. And then Goskowski in the 15, he's the other outlier. Why? Because he's the only kicker that you know for sure you're going to get 50 extra points minimum, maybe 60. You're going to get a ton of extra points. And he's also a pretty good kicker. So I feel like those two are worth reaching up for. I'm not going to reach up for Dan Bailey or Adam Vinatieri or Matt Bryant or the other decent kickers. Yeah, totally agree with that. And I, and I worded that funnily because I said six rounds left. But in most drafts, it, it is only 16 rounds. And right. this is when you take them anyway at 15. So I was just giving you a hard time. I actually totally agree with those two kickers. I think it's worth uh, going, not waiting to the end. Yeah, we don't have to go through the rest of it. I mean, I just got a bunch of guys that have a shot given the situation. One, one guy I will say is uh, the more I look into him, the more I'm kind of interested in Robert Turbin. I mean, uh, I know that Mac people like, but Frank Gore, uh, I love the guy. I'm a Niner fan. Used to be one of the best blockers. Uh, so, uh, crazy that he used to be injury prone and then he got healthier, more durable the latter part of his career. But I'm not betting on a running back 34 years old. I know we were both wrong last year. He didn't fall off the cliff. Well, but come on, he's 34 and another full year of work, a full workload. It doesn't cost you anything to be wrong on Gore because it's not like he, oh my God, I wish I had Frank Gore. It's like, no, I was wrong that he'd collapse. But whoever drafted him got some modest profit. You know, like yeah. they paid a dollar, they got a dollar ten. You know, okay, good for you. Um, it's just not worth, there's nothing, there's no upside. And then it's not like you invested a lot in any of his backups because there's never any expensive backups for Gore. People were going crazy over, uh, like, I got Josh Ferguson last year, and he didn't do anything. But it was, like, still a 15th-round pick. So you never wasted really money fading Gore. And this year, I think it's just an obvious thing. And yeah, you're right. It might be Marlon Mack who went in round 13 or 12 or whatever he went. He went in 12. Turbin could catch a ton of balls in PPR. Uh, I just think Turbin, round 20, is that's the play if you're going to fade Frank Gore. All right, a couple real, real quick things. I didn't want to go set your lineup, so I'm just going to throw a couple random stuff real quick. No, uh, I've, got, I've got 12 lineups I put in while we were talking, so like, I've got to set 12, 12 dummy lineups. Okay, all right, all right. I'll make it quick. Um, uh, as much as a day's been uh, crazy, uh, it's sad. Uh, rest in peace to Chester Bennington. I know you're not probably a Lincoln Park fan, but it's pretty bizarre. He, um, was, he hanged himself, uh, committed suicide, and uh, this is someone who gave a eulogy at Chris Cornell's uh, funeral and that's the same way cornell ended his life and it just so happens to be cornell's birthday today so pretty crazy 41 year old lead singer of lincoln park um rest in peace just pretty pretty sad um and secondly i don't know if you've seen this in the news but um there's crazy footage of this cop this baltimore cop who was wearing a body cam right and uh, he didn't know if he thought it was turned off there's some 30 second delay thing and it captures him planting drugs at a scene then he leaves and just for five seconds, and he's like, okay, let's go search. And then he goes to the exact spot that he put this 
like crack or something in this can. He's like, here it is. And it's all on, caught on camera. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. What's crazy is the times that it's not caught on camera. And, yeah. and the amount, I mean, holy crap, man. You know, I mean, the amount of doubt you have to have about our system is just immense. And it's terrifying when you really think about it. I mean, there's all those videos of black people being shot that were unarmed, that had their back to the police, that were in a car, you know, whatever. And it's horrible, but it's even more horrible that until we saw those videos, at least someone like me, and I had this conversation with Dre, I would have thought if people said, oh, no, no, it's really dangerous if you're black and you get pulled over, I would have been like, well, I'm sure once in a while there's a crazy cop, but I, I think that's exaggerated. But I would have been totally wrong about that. It was not exaggerated. If anything, they may not have realized how bad it was themselves, you know, seeing all how bad it really can get. And it makes you just wonder all these years and all this stuff and the amount of people that are in jail and disproportionately black, that this yeah. stuff is systemic and, there, and there's incentives. You know, we need to get a certain amount of convictions. Here's the people we can kind of get away with convicting. Here's the people without political power so that they'll raise all hell if they get convicted. Like if someone I knew, like in my family, got convicted, like I would raise all hell, right? I would know which channels to go through, and I would, do, I would not stop until made sure that the people who did it illegally were persecuted to every ounce of my power. And I, you know, I've been to law school, and I would use every resource and every contact I had to do that. But if you do it to poor people who are not politically connected, who don't have any power, then those are the people you get away with. So you may have some you know, a law and order type of new governor coming in or law and order you know, type of new politician coming in. And how does that filter down? You know, like his underling who's like, well, you know, I want him to be pleased with me. And he's, you know, the, the governor may not know about it. He's like, you do what you have to do to bump the numbers up. You know? And so that filters down. And who do you think gets the brunt of it? Who, what citizens do you think are going to pay the price for that? I just think we're crazy in denial of how our system works, the sort of fake front of like, oh, well, you know, you have a jury by your peers trial and it works like, you know, I, I think it's like way more pernicious and sinister. I mean, I'm not saying anything new. Five years ago, especially 10 years ago, I was pretty naive that I thought like most of the time probably like they were convicting guilty people. And now I really don't know. And, and to the extent they're guilty or maybe somebody, you know, there could even be people who, are, who had crack or had a drug on them, but they're getting the book thrown at them. I mean, there's all different levels of the way it, it's bad. But man, it, it is like, it really makes you question. And, and so it's like, you know, Zeke Elliott. So here's the Zeke Elliott thing all the way back full circle. His, girlf or his girlfriend at the time, you know, posted a photo of her bruised and stuff like that. And maybe she's full of crap and the police obviously didn't, you know, think to prosecute him or arrest him or anything. And you're like, okay, well, I mean, you can't dock Zeke Elliott because one person's word and nobody found it believable. But then you think of what happened with Ray Rice, who the police like went out of their way to let off the hook. And then that video comes out. And so you're like, it's unfair to Zeke Elliott because he may have done nothing, but it's also, you know, you, you just can't trust the authorities anymore. You can't trust their version of things. So we're just sort of left in this limbo where we're like, who the hell knows what happened? And it's, it's just really corrosive for any sort of understanding. It's corrosive for the innocent, and it's obviously corrosive for everybody in the system. Yeah, I'm curious uh, what happens to all his past convictions, this guy's, you know, the, guy, the people in, sitting in jail. I mean, I wonder if they're going to be, you know, let, let, let out. I don't know. I mean, what happens in that case? I mean, they should. I mean, it's, it's got I mean, it's it's got to call into doubt every single thing he's ever done. But right. not just him. Like, who's his boss? Like, what made him want to do that? What right. did he have to gain for doing that? Where is the incentive? You know, in Wells Fargo, they opened up like 8 million fraudulent accounts, right? And the CEO, Elizabeth Warren, took it to the CEO, and he had to resign. Because if there's, if there's so many people, it's so many branches opening up these fake accounts to charge customers, that's not just individual people just coming up with that on their own. That's, there's pressures brought to bear from the top 
that are like driving them to that. So who, what directive is in place that would make that guy even consider committing a serious crime like planting evidence on an innocent person that that would be a beneficial thing for him? What is in place? And, and, you know, and you know, they just want to make it, oh, this guy's bad. But, I mean, is that realistic? It's possible. Chances are this is, this is something that, like, they have a quota, and it's not just him doing it. No, it's awful. It's terrible. Anyway, on that bright note, I'm going to go set these lineups, yeah. take care of what's <laughs> important in life, and uh, I will, uh, I'll talk to you next week, man. Take it easy. All right, man. Later, Liz. Hey.